This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Dan Roosh. He's the founder and CEO of Rocket Trip, the leading tech platform for reducing corporate travel costs. The company motivates below policy spending by giving employee database trip budgets and letting them keep half of what they save. They're venture backed by Bessemer, Kanan, Ganacast, and Y Combinator. They're helping clients like GE Edmonds and Twitter create a positive culture around spend management. Dan, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. Thanks for having me. So this is tough, right? Somebody has an expense account and they're going, okay, Four Seasons Penthouse or like Holiday Inn. Oh, I'll just do the Four Seasons. No one will ever know. How do you get people to like go with the cheaper option, which is better for the business? Yeah. So it's not a travel problem. It's a human problem, right? Companies employ human beings and human beings by definition, biologically, we're lazy and selfish. And this isn't a good or a bad thing. This is self-preservation. We always optimize for comfort and convenience within the limits of policy um, because that's how we operate. I'm going to use that, by the way. The next time somebody calls me lazy, I'm going to say, I'm just being self, I'm just self-preserving. <laughs> just wrote a post about this, uh, why it's actually good to be, why it's good to be selfish, right? This is, this is how we survive as a species. Now, go, governments respond to that problem with laws, right? In terms of in terms of what you are allowed and not allowed to do, and companies respond to that problem with policies in terms of what you are allowed and not allowed to do, and that's not a problem. It's just a suboptimized equation, right? The the you know with these policies, as long as we operate within the boundaries of policy, nobody really cares what we do, and nobody asks any questions. We're free to optimize for ourselves, for our own flexibility, for our own comfort, for our own convenience within the limits of the policy. What, what that means by definition is if I'm flying from London to New York and I'm allowed to fly business class biologically, I'm going to be motivated to fly business class. I'm going to choose the most comfortable, convenient option that's available to me, even though there are much more cost-effective, company-friendly options available available to me within policy, there's there's no motivation for me to choose those options. So what we've done at Rocket Trip is sort of injected motivation into the equation. What we do is in a very lean forward, proactive, non-draconian way, we start offering employees a reasonable incentive to choose something different than what they would have done otherwise. This isn't about motivating employees to do what they should do. What they should do is follow their company policy. But if their company policy says they're allowed to fly business class, shouldn't they be, they be eligible for a reward if they're willing and enthusiastically able to fly coach? Save the company $1,000 and half of the savings goes to the employee, half the savings goes back to the company. That's a win for the employee, that's a win for the company, it's a win for everyone in the value exchange. And where's your cut, how do you make money? We're a SaaS platform. We charge a subscription fee based on the volume of travel that we manage for a given company. So if a company spends $100 million a year on travel, we will seek to reduce that by about $20 million, 20%. Half of that savings goes back to the company. Half of that goes back to the employees. So the company has $10 million in net savings. We charge around 2% of total spend under management. So the company invests $2 million to return $10 million back to them after employee benefits have been paid out. 
Got it. So you know that a company has to be above X annual travel budget for them to actually start getting the benefits of you. What is that size they have to be at to really actually use you effectively? Yeah, we've got some smaller, medium-sized businesses on the platform, but generally speaking, the companies that perform the best on our platform start producing real ROI around three to five million dollars in travel spend. Most companies that spend that much in travel are doing about three hundred to five hundred million in top line revenue. And are do you tie that number back to revenue or number of employees typically? Tie it back to total volume of travel spend. So they purchase in million dollar increments. We don't purchase per seat, we purchase per revenue. Yeah, sorry. No, no, my question was, was for a leading indicator for who's right for you, you use the revenue target, but isn't travel more directly tied to number of employees or am I wrong there? No, because you can have very few employees that travel very, very often. Thousands of employees that never travel at all depends on your what kind of organization you are. You in professional services where there's frequent travel. If you're in manufacturing, there's not much travel. It really depends on the industry. Generally speaking, though, as a rule of thumb, there's about a million dollars worth of travel for every 500 employees. Um, but that can move around quite a bit. It, it's much it's it's much more likely that total travel volume is tied to top line revenue. Got it. And what is the average customer paying you per month on the SaaS uh, SaaS side of things? Every customer pays us 2% of travel spend on a management. Oh, so there isn't an actual SaaS product. There's not a flat fixed fee to use the software. It's all in the 2% model. 2% of total spend. So it's all SaaS. It's a subscription. So if you spend $5 million a year, you're paying us $100,000 a year to run the platform. If you spend $10 million a year, you're paying us $200,000 and so on. So every customer pays the same amount they pay based on the volume of spend that they put through the platform. Yeah, but so let me give an example. I'm signing up for you right now. I say I'm going to put 10 million through you this year. Here, here's your 2% now. And then I only end up putting 4%, you know, 4 million through you. Do you give me yeah. a refund? No, it's usually yeah. So, so that, that's part of my question, right? Is like, how do you, I mean, typically when you talk about a SaaS business, it's like a fixed monthly fee and people are upselling based off seats or, or unit economics or contacts or some other unit metric. For you, how do you help people? Do, do you just use the trailing 12 month travel spend and you just anchor it to that? Well, so you're talking about, I mean, there's different types of SaaS contracts. Our SaaS contracts are all annual. Some of them are multi-year. So a customer will tell us how many seats they plan or how much how much volume they plan to put through the platform. Typically, we advise customers to, to anchor low, right? So if a company spends you know, $100 million a year in travel and they're with us for year one, don't buy $100 million worth of travel because you probably won't use it because it's going to take us time to onboard your employees and train them, get them excited about the platform, teach them how to use it and so on and so forth. So don't purchase the full 100, purchase 75 million. So you purchase a little less. Now, if you exhaust that total volume six months into the year, it would expire the contract and we'd start a new contract, but that's fine, that's, that's, that's just paperwork. So we encourage clients to aim a little bit below what their total capacity is, especially in year one. And are, you, are they paying that forward based on the projection? They're paying it at the start of the contract or after the money is spent? At the start of the contract. Okay, all forward. So how, I mean, how do you keep a client like that went through what I just articulated to you? They say 10 million, they only end up spending half of that. You don't refund it. So there's bad feelings at the end, but they still like you. They still put 5 million through your platform. How do you keep them happy? The ROI on the platform is pretty powerful. So I'll give you an example. Um, hypothetically, right? A company spends $100 million a year in travel. They pay us $2 million, but they only end up pushing $50 million worth of spend through the platform, we still return that. We would have returned $20 million in savings because they only sent us half of the spend. We only returned half of the savings. That is, we only returned $10 million 
split up 50-50, the company's net savings is $5 million. So they returned, they, they invested $2 million to return $5 million in savings. The platform paid for itself two and a half times over. So it's still a very significant positive ROI for the client. It's just not as positive as if they had used the full volume of what they purchased. It's like saying you purchased you know, 50 seats on salesforce.com and you only used 25 of them. You spent too much, but the platform still added a lot of value to your annual. You know, so next year you might renegotiate and spend less with Salesforce because you don't need as many seats, but it's not like you're canceling your contract because Salesforce didn't add any value, right? No, it makes good sense. What are you managing in terms of the past 12 months in terms of total travel expenses? In terms, terms of total travel spend? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tens of millions of dollars a month. Okay. Can we say, so can we say above 20 million, but below hundred million? Is that a fair range? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. Although it's growing very, very fast. Okay. What's fast growth? Uh, about 20% month over month. In terms of his new booking, new travel bookings or contracts committed for the next 12 months. Okay. And give me more of the backstory here. So when did you launch the company? Started the company back in 2013, uh, really off the backbone of what Google built internally. So at Google, uh, back in 2008, they came up with the concept of, you know, hey, we're spending you know, close to a billion dollars in travel every year back then. And we really need a way to control these costs. Uh, because employees are, are optimizing for themselves and as they should be, right? We've created a policy. We, we tell them what we expect them to do and they're optimizing for themselves within policy. How can we create a program that motivates them to spend less without creating friction by tightening policy? And what, cre what we created there was an opportunity um, for employees to share in the savings that, uh, or what, what Google created was an opportunity to share in the savings that employees created for themselves. And so we basically were inspired by that model. The, the thesis of Rocket Trip is not about travel, it's about behavioral change. So were you there, Dan? Were you in, were you at Google and you saw this inside? No, heard about it. Okay. Uh, and started working with a bunch of folks who, who were employed at Google, formerly employed at Google, and actually, uh, it comes full circle. The guy who built the program at Google is now an advisor to the company. So, so we built it in part with him. Um, the, the concept is not about travel, though. It's about behavioral economics, right? It's about changing the way people behave by giving them a reason to do something they otherwise would not do. And if it's about saving money in corporate travel, it's about travel. It's about if it's about being more healthy, you know, quitting smoking, going to the gym more, exercising, we can motivate that behavioral change. If it's about being a better corporate citizen, doing more community service, speaking on panels, whatever it is, we can use the concept of incentivized behavioral change to motivate a positive change of behavior in a direction that's very company friendly and as it turns out is also in the interests of the employee which means we're not in, we're not incrementally adding employee friction into the equation we're actually enhancing culture at the same time as we're reducing cost which is a very special outcome it's very rare to have a cost compliance tool or cost reduction tool actually improve culture but that's what we're finding with the platform CRMs might be the tool that I fight with the most. I just haven't found one that I really liked. I don't know if you guys are the same way, but they're just so tricky. And a while ago, I had a guy named John Lee on my show. He's the CEO of ProsperWorks. And he told me they just passed 40,000 customers and 24 million in annual revenue. So they're doing about $286,000 in revenue per employee. And I said, wow, why is this working? And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. So I went to prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM, signed up, and it immediately became clear why it worked. Those of you that love growth hacking, you should go to that link just to see how they do the onboarding. That's prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. In short, it's like magic. You know, I'm not the guy that 
you know, finishes the sales call and then takes the time to actually put data into the CRM, they have this magical way of just doing it. And it's a beautiful thing. So every morning when I wake up, I just go, okay, what leads are ProsperWorks telling me to reach out to because they're most likely to close? And it works so well. And you guys know I love money and I love only focusing on the leads that are gonna close. So I encourage you to try ProsperWorks. They're sponsoring the show. Check them out at prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. Folks, that's again, prosperworks.com forward slash love your CRM. Now you raised capital. How much total have you raised to date? 17 million. And why'd you decide to raise capital? Why not bootstrap this thing? What, what, why'd you need the influx? Because companies globally spend one and a quarter trillion dollars every year on flights, hotels, cars, and trains. And it's all being spent by people who don't care how much they spend. And that's a massive, massive problem. It's a massive opportunity, uh, but it's going to take a lot of resources to build a product and get it out to market in a meaningful way because it's such a big industry. Um, you know, my background's in, in, in a decade worth of startups that have all been venture backed. It's what I know how to do well. It's what I'm good at. Uh, and, and so we, we decided to go that route. There's nothing wrong with bootstrapping. It's much harder to get platforms off the ground quickly, especially in software as a service uh, in enterprise sales. Um, so for us, uh, going the venture back route was the way to go, but there's a lot of ways to skin that. Yeah. Specifically though. So what, what I heard you say is, uh, scaling a platform like this in this big market, you need that capital, but specifically is that money? Like, is it hard to acquire customers on these kinds of keywords or most that's going towards engineering team? Cause the tech is actually difficult. Like where did that money actually go? But most of it's going to headcount. Okay. Uh, it's human capital. It's, it's engineers it's salespeople, it's marketers, customer success, customer service. Uh, there, there's tons of. Um, there's tons of work to be done to get this platform off the ground. It's not just about the technology. It's not just about the sales. It's about all of the support around it. And what's team size today? About 70 people. All up there in New York or are you spread out? Pretty much all here in New York. We've got some distributed sales folks, but generally speaking, everyone's here. And then walk me, so you mentioned you did this, you've done this over the past decade, kind of startups and, and, and businesses like this. Where was your kind of head at in 2013 when you got into this? I mean, had you just had a financial windfall? You had no risk. You could put it all towards this and not worry about, you know, being on the street if it failed. Like, where was your brain? Wish. No, my, so I was in, uh, so I just wrapped up uh, my time at the second startup I was a part of. The first one we sold to AOL back in 2008. Uh, then I moved over to Tremor Media, which became Tremor Video, which is now Talaria. I was running our European businesses in London, um, so I had two P&Ls, and I just always wanted to start my own thing. And it was more for me an equation of, you know, if not now, when? I think I just turned 30 or close to it, and uh, and I had to go see if I could do Wait, it. Wait, what do you mean? You just, either you just turned 30 or you haven't yet. <laughs> Are you 30 yet or you're close to it? So now, no, now I'm 36, so this was in 2013. Oh, so got it. I guess I just turned 30 or like a little bit ahead of it. Got so, it. Got it. Uh, no, I wish I, I wish I, I hadn't turned 30. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was around, it was around my 30th birthday where I said like, look, you know, at some point I've got to go and see if I can do this. And I'm passionate about a lot of ideas. Um, I just left my startup. Uh, I said like, look, you know, I, I was whiteboarding at nights and on the weekends and really wasn't giving my ideas justice. I wasn't giving my company justice. It was just, it was too muddled. And I really needed time just to think and iterate and, and ideate. And um, I just left my company. I, I quit my job, uh, moved back to New York. I joined, I joined a venture fund as a entrepreneur in residence. Which one? Uh, Genicast, the, the company that put the, the first round of funding in. Um, as an EIR, and, and that's sort of a fancy title for you've got 
no job here other than, you know, here's a business card, go meet with people, find us deal flow, think about what you want to do next. Um, the guy who founded that fund was a colleague of mine. He was the co-founder of Dakota, the company we sold AOL. So that was a relationship that had existed. Uh, and Gil Beta is, is still uh, on our uh, heavily involved in the company. Um, so we came up with Rocket Trip together. The original concept was um, why isn't there the same kind of predictable irrationality that, that exists in the um, in the loyalty programs that the consumer airline and hospitality space have have gotten so good at? Right. Think about your Starwood program, your United program, your Hilton, your Hyatt, someone's a Delta guy or United person. Um, you're so fiercely loyal to these programs for no reason, right? The, the aspirational value of points, of, of status, of what could be, and I might get the upgrade, I might get the Wi-Fi, I might get something of value. Um, can we inject that same kind of loyalty into corporates and create like a Starwood program for corporates so that HR has another arrow in the quiver? It's not just about, you know, use your salary and vacation days yeah. and types and equity and bonus. We also have this points program that's going to reward you for incredible behavior. And incredible behavior can, again, go across a variety of different areas. We're starting in corporate travel because of the magnitude of the problem, number one, um, how pervasive it is across every single company in the world that travels has this problem because companies employ human beings and human beings always respond to this problem in the same way. And number three, Google had proved that it worked back in 2008 and they still have their program. So it was sort of a proven product. All we needed to do was rebuild it and commercialize it. And what do you got now today in terms of customers? About 70, 80 enterprise customers. One of the biggest changes in our business last year, we moved up market, started working with much larger enterprises. Um, so historically, our business has mostly been in sort of the mid-market um, companies like Onda Capital, Twitter, et cetera. Yep. And now we're with much, much larger, sort of the Fortune 500 yep. um, brand Those name. are all paying, by the way. These are all paying customers, not like free users or something like that. We don't do free pilots. There's a yeah. lot of work for us to, to manage the business and make it successful for each engagement that we do. And each engagement is really calibrated to their needs, right? So some companies want to motivate employees to stay at Airbnb. Others don't. Some companies are okay with connecting flights domestically. Others aren't. So each engagement is very, very calibrated specifically to elicit the behaviors that that company wants to see and not the behaviors that they don't. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. So we don't do free pilots. These are all paying customers. And these 80 folks over the, you know, let's talk about future because it's always exciting. Over the next 12 months, how much expense management do you think you'll do across these? I mean, do you break the billion dollar mark, you think, or no? Oh, yeah. You think I mean, so? You're, are you past that already? No. But you, but you think you'll definitely break in the next 12 months? Uh, I don't don't know if it's 12 months or 24 months, but we'll break it for sure. (laughs) What's the total, you know, this number, I don't, what's the total travel market? Like all corporate top fortune 500, what do they spend on travel altogether annually? Well, globally, globally on travel, it's a one and a quarter trillion dollar market. The fortune 500 is probably call it 30 to 40% of that. So it's it's a massive amount of spend. I I came out of digital advertising. We got excited about $90 billion of value in the total addressable market. We're talking about a tr- over a trillion dollar market here. It's the third largest producer of GDP globally. It's a huge market. Yep. It's a lot. Of them. And then last question here before we wrap up with the famous five. Um, you mentioned earlier your processing. You know, on the, on the tens, you know, saw so it call between twenty million and a hundred million bucks per month in total expenses. Taking two percent, obviously, on each of those sides, it's fair to say you guys are doing between four hundred grand and, and about two million per month. Is that a fair range? We don't comment on publicly on, on our, our revenue range, uh, but well, those are, well. are those numbers wrong? I mean, those numbers are just, I'm just multiplying numbers you gave me. Are those numbers wrong? It moves around because there's a lot of different revenue streams for the business. So we don't just make money on SaaS. There's professional services. Ah, there's, this is, see, this is exactly why I asked. Tell me about yeah. the other revenue streams. 
So the way we, we mainly make money on our software product where we charge a percent. Uh, we do give discounts to certain clients for certain things. Like if it's a multi-year agreement, there'll be discounts. If uh, we can do a case study with that client, we'll give them a discount, press releases. So uh, you know, there, there is some discounting that we do. Some of the early clients that were sort of beta testers on the platform got a discount, things like that. Um, the other side of our business is e-commerce. So when employees redeem their value, so as I mentioned, so suppose you go on a trip, you save the company a thousand bucks, you get $500, you don't get it in your paycheck, you get it in rocket trip points, and you come to our platform and you redeem that value through our platform, we make a little bit of money on it. Now, we don't, you know, you, if you have $500, you get your $500, we just get a commission on whatever you redeem through our platform. So we make some money on that side of our business. Um, we charge implementation because they're very heavy. But they only get rocket trip points. So they have to put it through your system. That's right. But the points can be redeemed for anything from Visa cash cards to merchandise oh, on Amazon and Best Buy and J. Crew and Bloomingdale's. Donate your points to charities. There's lots of things you could use the money for. Um, but that's that's basically the gist of how the e-commerce side of it works. And then we've got our professional services team uh, that does implementations. And we charge implementation fees for that part A of A one-day fee to have your people fly out, get it installed, motivate the team, etc. It's it's like a it's an implementation fee tied to the work required to get a program up and running, which can be as little as two weeks and as as much as you know three four months. Are these significant though? I mean, do they or, or does the the percentage model make up call it more than eighty percent of your revenue? Percentage model makes up somewhere between you know, it's over fifty percent of our revenue. Okay, so the majority. And let me ask it differently. Your growth is going to be directly tied to just increasing the volume, not growing professional services or growing your e-commerce arm. Uh, well, look, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive economics on the e-commerce side, right? As we move into travel, so so you can redeem your points for for leisure travel, you can redeem your points for uh, other merchandise. There are positive economics in how we manage that side of the business, but yeah, the, the the majority of our growth will be coming from signing up new big large customers and helping them save a lot of money. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five, Dan. Uh, quick answers here. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, good to great. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Elon Musk. Number uh, three, what's your favorite online tool? Wow. For growing, uh, the, for growing the business, like for entrepreneurs. Oh, for growing the business. Uh, favorite online tools, probably Slack. Okay. Uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, it used to be four. It's now seven or eight. Okay, that's good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Married, one little boy, Bodhi. Uh, we live in Manhattan. Oh, that's awesome. Is he, so he's like st obviously still in the house, not off at school? He's, he'll be two on New Year's Day. Woo! So my wife All is right. a human and, uh, and I don't see him at all. And how old are you? I'm 36. All right, last question here. Take us back 16 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, that, there's, uh, that, that, it's a, there's, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. There you guys have it from Dan. It's a marathon, not a sprint. He's had some success in startups over the past many over past decade, then joined a VC firm in terms of being an EIR where it allowed him to kind of look at other business models. He found one he wanted to go after called Rocket uh, Trip. Uh, they're now growing this business. He hopes to process and help uh, large companies, specifically 80 customers working with him right now, manage their expense budgets with the goal of helping uh, employees get incentivized to drive savings, travel more efficiently, and ultimately increase the bottom line of these companies while also helping Rocket Trip build their own business where they take 2% of expense uh, uh, fees gone through them. So Dan, thank you so much for taking us to the top.